Hey, welcome back to Rhythms of Grace. Uh, my name is Nate, and I am here with the lead pastor of Grace Churches, Sung Kim. We have been in a really interesting season, uh, a conversation about things like seasons, rhythms, basically trying to create analogies for our spiritual development or kind of like the spiritual reality that we find ourselves in and, and how those rhythms, small rhythms, daily rhythms, or large rhythms like seasons can both inform and sort of spur us on towards growth and health. We're going to take a little bit of a, of a shift today because, Sung, you have uh, some other frameworks that you consider when you, when you are creating analogies for um, spiritual development or maturity as a person. Yep. So, uh, again, one thing is in college, I was a psychology, sociology major. So a lot of that uh, history and experience really bleeds through in this conversation and, and these future episodes. So for those who might be interested, there are some great authors and books. Just I'll just throw it out there. Robert Keegan, he has this whole uh, stages of development that's really good. Another guy named James Fowler called The Stages of Faith. Really fascinating stuff. Both of those guys, really heavy reading material, but really helpful. Another guy, Ken Wilber, who has a model of human development. But I, I think one of the most helpful and easiest to understand is by a guy named Eric Erickson. He's also the easiest to remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's helpful. Eric, he is the son of Eric. <laughs> that's right. So why, why do you prefer, I mean, you, you've clearly done a lot of reading and thinking. Why do you prefer um, Eric Erickson's framework? I mean, a lot of it makes sense, right? And, and the way he outlines what he calls the eight stages of human development uh, the language is really familiar, right? Like when you, when you read James Fowler, like his categories are just really like hard to remember or understand. Uh, although the concepts are really good, but like, so his eight stages, for example, Eric Erickson, he talks about infancy. That's from birth to age two and certain things that happen in, in that time. And then he talks about early childhood ages two to three, uh, play age, age, ages three to five, school age, six to 12. So those are all stages that we can understand and right. under, you know, as a parent or right. as a person. Then he goes to talk about adolescence, ages 12 to 18, then young adulthood, 19 to 35, middle adulthood, or he would just call adulthood is 35 to 65. So if you're 35, you are an officially an uh, adult, according sorry, to Erickson. Sorry. So start acting like one. <laughs> so is he talking about, um, is he talking about physical development or, or, or what is his framework for each of those categories? Yeah. So, um, he is talking, it, it is, uh, physical uh, in one sense, but it is not exclusively. I think the value of his model really comes because he talks a lot about the, uh, social and, and the social development of a person and emotional development. Okay. Okay. And so you, you, and the other thing that we have to understand is we are in all of these stages uh, at, at various times and all the time, you know, the, we, we never leave one stage to graduate onto another stage and never have to deal with, let's say trust issues anymore. Right. Or like when my wife tells me to stop acting like a baby, <laughs> like <that's, laughs> I'm still in the infant stage there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's a good way to understand our natural process of maturing, you know, not only as a person, uh, as a human being, but also as a follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. I, I think one of the things I, I really appreciate about him is his emphasis 
as a psychologist and therapist to understand uh, 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 on what it's like to be a healthy person. Because a lot of people really start with illness, right? But he focuses on health and he would say, you cannot understand human nature and all its possibilities when you look at it from a fragmented, disintegrated state. Like there's a lot we can learn about the dark corners of our souls, but really it's the healthy, integrated person that can give us a true picture of what it means to be a human being. And I think when you think of Christian spiritual formation, that's exactly the case. I mean, Jesus Christ is our model of what it means to be a human being. Yes, we look at our brokenness and our sin, but we have to remember uh, before there was original sin, there was original glory. Mm -hmm. God made us in his image. I think especially reformed people, like we love to talk about original sin, but sometimes, but that's starting in Genesis three. We forget like, man, we were made in God's image and we were the peak of God's creation. That's one of the things I love about, uh, again, like the Enneagram instead of some of the other sort of personality profiles like Myers-Briggs, it does talk about sort of, it's not like you're, you're sort of cursed to be one thing. It's like there is, as you engage in health, um, you you develop sort of a fuller understanding of of you know how to process life and new skills become available to you. So I love being able to look at what health looks like as kind of a, a framework for growth, maturity, processing, etc. Yeah, and I think this is very different from what I would say like bubble gum kind of self love focused narcissistic kind of uh, idea. As much as I, I think the idea that, like, when you think about your relationships in a marriage and a family or friendships, like, human flourishing and growth happens when you, like, when you see, like, the strengths and positives and gifts in other people, yeah. more so than being a critic of what they don't have. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what he would say. Yeah, and I, and I also love, uh, you know, sort of the perspective of saying our goal is not just to be not sick. Our goal is to be <laughs> right. more than that. You know, right. the Bible uses tons of, of um, words and analogies that describe us as overcomers and conquerors, victors, you know, sons of the, and, and daughters of the king. That's not just about being not sick. Right. It's right. a much greater sort of promise. It is. And so we'll be talking about in the, in, in the future episodes. Uh, one thing that I, uh, the other thing I really love about him is, uh, and again, there's a lot of limits and, and misuse uh, of his framework too. So, but just to say that uh, his belief that uh, any stages of life that you missed or you didn't develop fully can be remedied and healed and developed later. One of the phrases that he uses is, "There's much that cannot. Uh, there's there's much that cannot be remedied later. There is much." that can be prevented from happening at all. Mm. And so as a parent or as a person, right, like sometimes, even though we may not believe this, we feel like there are things from our childhood traumas and experiences that we feel like we will never get over or we entirely miss and now we are done for. And he would say, no, no, healing and growth is possible no matter what you have experienced. Uh, in Christian lingo, we would say God's grace is greater than any of your sin, your shortcomings, your traumas, uh, even the things the things that people have wronged you with. God is God's grace is much greater than any of that. Yeah, essentially, nothing is beyond redemption. Yep. Yeah. You know the other the other thing I'll point out too, and uh, those people who are familiar with more some of the psychologists like Freud, who really focused on psychosexual development so kind of like reaching your 
you know, self-actualization was about your sex drive, which, mm-hmm. again, I think he had a problem with that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but Erickson really focuses on uh, psychosocial and emotional development, like, like I mentioned earlier. And so he believed that community I- and relationships with other people is such an integral part of your development and healing. The thing that's really interesting uh, about the way he would do therapy is when he would often treat a patient, he would actually go to the patient's home and observe the family uh, during dinner to have a better understanding of their social environment. Yeah. You know, and and I think if you ever sit down with uh, somebody in their family, uh, I mean, that's a big window into like just who they are and how they respond uh, to, to different things. Oh, man. Like, I remember the first time that I sat down to dinner with your family. <laughs> yeah. Literally, so many things became clear <laughs> yeah. about who you were as a person that that, that context made them crystal clear. As before, it was kind of like, okay, it kind of feels like Sung is like this, or it kind of seems like Sung prefers this. In the context of watching you interact with your family, suddenly it was just like, it was like the, the you know, the window shades had been pulled up and I could suddenly see really clearly yeah so what did you see and experience during that dinner so uh, legitimately that dinner is a part of my um my orientation for every new staff member (laughs) at grace because i feel like it was so helpful i mean one of the things that that was so crazy to me is how sort of um uh blatantly critical you were of each other but most importantly it was without offense Sometimes cr- criticism um, feels offensive, but your family was critical somehow without it being uh, like trying to hurt or wound. And so that really, for me, opened up um, just some insight into the way that you interact. And often when you are critical to remember, Sung doesn't read this as being hurtful. You know, mm-hmm. there's no offense intended. It's just simply that, like, criticism, and in some ways it's it's really nice, right? Like, you, I was sitting there and I was like, I would never have to, like, I would never worry that someone in Sung's family was thinking something and not saying it because, holy cow, they're saying it all <laughs> right now to each <laughs> yeah. other's faces. Um, right. And that's just, it, it provided a, a really sort of, um, like broad framework that I could understand some of our conversations. Yeah, no, I, I remember some of those conversations. I remember you were surprised because I remember turning to my brother and we had a, a, a side conversation and I said to him, Sam, y- you're, you spoil uh, yes. your child so <laughs> yes. badly. You're a terrible father. <laughs> That's right. And I remember seeing the look on your face like, oh my goodness. But then, so you went through a number of examples and then once you stopped, Sam was like, tell me more. To like, tell me more how I'm being a terrible father. And I was like, what, like, what is even happening right now? Yeah. I remember <laughs> another conversation too where uh, I, I was telling, uh, or my dad said to me, like, I just preached a sermon about like growing up with my with my parents and especially my dad and I remember after the sermon you were like wow that was pretty like harsh yeah. And, yeah. and my dad during dinner said oh I listened to a few of your sermons yeah and, and you feeling like oh my goodness here it comes right and we started laughing because he's like oh yeah that's so true he's like, I was so I was way too hard on you <laughs> like it just it just became a part of the conversation yeah uh, which I would never I've like there were times when you would 
use your dad or your mom as an illustration in your sermon, and I don't think, oh, no, they're going <laughs> to listen to this later. Like, what is going to happen? But I realize that you have never said anything in a sermon about your family that you haven't already said to their face. Right. Legitimately. Right. Yeah. I, I remember the, other, uh, the last example, too, when, uh, you know, we were having Korean barbecue with my parents, and, you know, Koreans, like Italians, just love pushing food on you. Yeah. And my mom or somebody was like, here, Nate, have more, have more. A- and they kept pushing food on me, too. And again, I was like, nope, I don't want any more. Yeah. And just, I, I, I guess for me, again, it feels like fish swimming in water. It, it just, this is the norm for me. But I, my comfort at just saying no blatantly. Yeah. Well, you, it's funny because what your mom said was actually even more kind of assertive. She wasn't saying have more is kind of an invitation. She was saying like, eat more, like <laughs> eat this. Like it was there, there wasn't, it was no invitation. It felt <laughs> like a command. And right. that was the other thing I realized about you that often your directives are invitations into conversation, which I never would have seen. You know, I, I, I would assume for me, a directive is a directive. Like if I'm telling you to do something like my kids know this, like there's not a lot of wiggle room there, but right. for you, it is an invitation to be like, so we're opening a conversation. Even if you say do this, that can actually mean like, let's talk about this, which is really different. Right. Another note on that Korean barbecue dinner is that I ate so much food <laughs> That I literally, there was a period of time where I just had to sit super still because I was afraid I was going to throw up. I was so full. I was like sitting there like shallow breaths. <laughs> don't move too far to the left or to the right. I saw all the meat sweat that you Oh my gosh. I had the meat sweats <laughs> hardcore. It was great. It was amazing food, but I, I overindulged. No question. Yeah. And you know, and we'll talk about this in the different stages, but some of those things, some of those gifts and strengths you bring are either overdone or underdone. Mm. And like one of the strengths, for example, um, like like you said, I, I can take criticism pretty well. Like I remember one time, uh, you know, when we would have multiple services, we call it halftime between services where you'd be like, hey, give give any kind of feedback on the sermon. What could I do better? And I remember an elder ha- had, had a, was having a conversation with me and saying, hey, Sung, you know, for the next service, maybe change this or that. And, and you on his heels were like, Hey, Sung, I feel really bad, you know, adding on to this, but like, and I said, no, Nate, like, mate, like for the sake of the church, say this because it'll make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I'm so used to that framework. On the other hand, sometimes it's overdone because just because I can receive that kind of, kind of objective or, or, or even like opinions or, or criticisms, I mistakenly think that other people, and because I'm used to that from my family of origin, I mistakenly think people will receive that with the same kind of receptivity yeah. from my family of origin. And that is, and the people, uh, oh my goodness, the, the people I've hurt over the years, mm. you know, yeah. uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's a continuing, uh, a continual learning uh, growth edge for me. And that's another way that, is that another way that Eric Erickson sort of frames it at like mm-hmm. overdone versus underdone strengths or... Yeah, he does, and, and again, we'll talk about this in future episodes, but each stage of development isn't this black and white choice. And In fact, what's really fascinating, and this is the part that's fascinating to me, is like, for example, in infancy, he, he'll, he'll say it, that's a stage where you learn uh, trust versus mistrust. Okay. And, and as an adult, if you have trust issues, there may be things from that stage that weren't fully developed. But he doesn't say it's black and white, good and bad, right? Rather, a healthy balance of overusing or underusing a gift or, or when to use it. For example, like, you know, you have to establish a sense of trust for those people around you. 
you know, at the same time, not all mistrust mistrust is bad. Right. Right. right? If a child has no mistrust of touching a stove, yeah, like that, that's just not good. Yeah. And so again, he talks about that. And I would even say from a Christian doctrine point of view, sin is exactly that. It's an overuse or misuse or underuse of God's gift. And so, for example, sexual sin is the overuse or underuse of the gift of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you don't fight sexual sin by getting rid of sexual desire, right. which is kind of the paradigm I was unconsciously taught in oh, church, yeah, right? For sure. Like that's bad. It's like shut it down. Yeah. But no, no, it's channeling them in their appropriate ways so that they can be used as a gift from God yeah. instead of overused or underused. And, and, and uh, again, reading into Erickson a little bit, like sin, according to him, would be like any overuse or underuse of God's good gift. Mm. So it's really helpful. And so, yeah, it'll be great to dive into that at each stage because we are going to do, we're going to do numerous episodes uh, on this framework and kind of like dive deeply into each one. Yeah. And don't worry, we're not going to take eight episodes. We're going to combine a couple of them. Just, (laughs) just, I don't know that we have the attention span to do eight (laughs) episodes on this. We'll get bored halfway through. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I I think just uh, when it comes to, um, like, uh, again, stages of development, um, the understanding that your family of origin does really play a big part yeah. in shaping you. And a lot of the hurts and, and uh, even struggles that we have today can often be um, pinpointed to an earlier period in our life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of the things that I have experienced. Uh, I experienced early on in my marriage, which was that hurts were given and received Merely because the framework out of which we were operating was so different. My family never made a big deal out of birthdays. Mm. Um, I mean, we celebrated them for sure. Uh, In my wife's family, holidays and birthdays are this huge thing. So uh, the first couple, like, birthdays or holidays that came. Oh, man. Right? I know. I know. (laughs) Everyone is just, like, freaking out right now. But I I would just kind of let them pass because I didn't think it was a big deal. Valentine's Day? Like, come on. That's a Hallmark holiday. (laughs) You know? But for my wife, it was a way that love was was given and received. And so for me to skip those caused a ton of of conflict early in our marriage. Mm. That's so good. And oftentimes we take those things and we carry into uh, our current marriage and friendships and relationships. I would even say even our relationship to God. Mm. And so uh, one example I'll give, and this is totally going to date this example. <laughs> but <laughs> there, there was a, a woman, uh, a couple I was talking to early on in my pastoral life and ministry. And she was complaining about her husband ignoring her because he would read the newspaper that's dating. The oh <laughs> Did you start ministry in 1950? Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Anybody under 25 <laughs> is like, what's newspaper. a newspaper? Uh, and, and it made her feel like lonely and rejected. And she was really angry and felt like really taken for granted. And the more we talked, like, and it wasn't like he, he was ne- neglecting her in other areas of her life. It was just like the 10 minutes that he took. And this could be even after conversations with her at the breakfast table, just reading the newspaper. Well, uh, again, without being all psychotherapy kind of stuff here, like just as we explored her story and and just like when did she first feel some of those uh, uh, emotions, she actually went back to herself as a little child when her dad, who was a traveling salesman, um, who every morning while she was eating breakfast would read the newspaper 
at the breakfast table, and she, as a girl, as a little girl, she felt um, like abandoned or left alone. Yeah. And how, and then she came to realize that she had carried that into her marriage, and uh, and so again, often those hurts or pains and, and things that we've experienced as, as kids or growing up, our family of origin, leads to what would be called like an, like a, a an excessive reaction. Yeah. To uh, trigger sometimes. Yeah, triggers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so. Um, yeah, again, being a sociology, psychology major, family of origin, birth orders, all that kind of stuff is so fascinating for me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that, that that's just a quick intro to the uh, stages of development. I think this will be really helpful for, like, parents, for example, but also if you are somebody who is wanting to grow uh, not just spiritually but emotionally and socially, uh, yeah, yeah, look forward to having this discussion and, and hearing uh, what, what, the, what comes out of it. Yeah, so what's uh, going to be the focus of, uh, of our next episode? Well, uh, we're going to talk about infancy and possibly early childhood. I, I mean, you know, uh, so much has already been written, and, and I think parents have read this, but how important those formative years are. Yeah. And uh, just a little preview, like the difference, like the, uh, the power of touch for an infant like the sense of security and trust that a child gets mm. that actually carries into adulthood. adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have trust issues, I do. <laughs> it could so point to <laughs> some, were you not hugged enough as a baby? Is well, that I'll tell a story about <laughs> so, that okay. next episode. You're going to have to join us next week. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah. The thing about that's one story. So I was actually born.